In his classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes the following. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think of when you think of God? Do you think of an old guy with a long white beard, maybe dressed in a white robe and sitting really in a big chair way up there? Or maybe you think of a close friend or a distant ruler. You see, what you think about when you think about God is extremely important because what you think about God influences, it impacts everything about our lives. It impacts our beliefs, our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. What you think about God impacts everything. Some people do think about God as a distant ruler. They think about God as being up there in majesty and glory and having a whole lot of power. But maybe not so concerned about his creation. Maybe not so particularly concerned about us as individuals. If this is your view of God, you will likely live your life as a practical atheist. Even if there is a God you will think to yourself, well, it really doesn't matter because he's way up there. He's out there. And yeah, he may have a lot of power, but he's not so concerned about me personally. This is a God who has a lot of power, but not a lot of compassion or care. You may be a person who thinks about God as a close friend. He's pretty chill. He's a good guy. We like to hang out. And you bring your thoughts and your concerns to him, and he's there, and if he can hear, when he hears, he may want to do something about it. But if this is your view of God, you're likely going to be frustrated and disillusioned because you, you think, well, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to pray, but I'm not actually so sure that he can do anything. Yes, he cares, but does he actually have enough power to effectuate or to impact my life for my good. This is a God who is full of compassion and care and love, but maybe not so much power. Today, Jesus wants, us to, wants to remind us of and inform us about the correct view of God because it impacts everything our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. So today, in our text this morning, Jesus refers to God as your Father who is in heaven. Jesus reminds us, he instructs us that God is our Father. He is a good and genuine father, and a good and genuine father loves his children. He cares for his children. He has compassion towards his children. He brings his children close. He's not distant. He's not removed. He brings his children close to protect them and to provide for them and to care for them. Jesus says that God is our father. But he's not just our father. He's the father who is in heaven. 
which means that not only is he close, not only does he care, not only does he intend good for us, but by being in heaven, it articulates the concept or the idea that he has power. He has power to actually do what he intends to do. He's not weak. He's not impotent. He's not incapable. He has the power to do what he wants to do. And because he is your father and he loves you and he is close and because he has the power to do what is in your good and best interests, he is your father who is in heaven. Our view of God matters. You may have come here this morning and you're unemployed or maybe you're underemployed and you've been unemployed or underemployed for a long time. And you're wondering, well, how am I gonna make it? Inflation's through the roof. Interest rates at over 7%. To, I'll never get a new house. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've done everything right. You're the good girl. Yet God seems to be so distant. Or maybe you have no power over alcohol and alcohol has all the power over you. And you're starting to lose friends and opportunities. Or maybe you're starting school tomorrow morning or you started this past week and if you're honest, you're afraid. You're afraid of failing or maybe you're just afraid that you're not going to have any real close friends. You see, our view of God matters. And today, Jesus wants to tell us that God is our Father who is in heaven. And he does so by giving us an invitation, a promise, and an assignment. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and would you turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is found on page 788 in the Bible that's in the rack in front of you. And I encourage you to grab it and follow along. We're continuing our study this morning in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And remember this, this is kind of interesting. All that we have covered this summer so far and some of last fall is part of one sermon. One sermon that probably took Jesus about 15 minutes to give. And we have spent a whole summer kind of digging into it. And it has been, I hope it has impacted you as much as it has impacted me. Because in this sermon, Jesus, Jesus gives us a way to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. He gives us marks of identification. He gives us instruction on how to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. And he shares the blessings that we have in following Jesus Christ. And today, Jesus wants us to see that God is our Father who is in heaven. So he gives us an invitation, a promise, and an assignment. I'm gonna begin reading in verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So first, let's look more closely at Jesus' invitation. Jesus here gives a remarkable invitation concerning his Father in heaven. And this is pretty amazing. Please do not lose sight of what Jesus is inviting us to here. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus begins by encouraging us to see God as our Father one who sees you, one who cares for you, one who loves you. So he invites us to talk to him. He invites us to pray. This is an invitation from Jesus to pray. Now, prayer is not a new subject in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has mentioned prayer a number of times already in this short sermon, and he is going to do it again with the intention that we see that God is our Father who is in heaven. There's an invitation here, but I'd like you to notice that it's a bit more than an invitation. This is presented in the original language as a present tense imperative which means that it is essentially a command to continue or to keep on, keep on doing the activity. Always be asking, always be seeking, always be knocking. But I present it as an invitation because we all have the choice of whether we are going to actually ask, seek, and knock. But why wouldn't you? Jesus is giving you a personal invitation to go to your Father who is in heaven and ask and seek and knock. Why would you not take advantage of what Jesus is inviting you to? And notice here, there is a persistence that is suggested. We're to be persistent. It's just like that three-year-old that never gives up. If you've had a three-year-old, you know that that three-year-old, whatever they want, they are going to keep going after it until you give in and say yes. The persistence here is what Jesus is looking for. There is an increased intensity in the instruction. And notice the ascending urgency. We're to ask, but more than that, we're to seek. We're to seek, but more than that, we're to knock. Ask is the word, is a word that is used for a beggar when he's asking for help. It's the word that is used for someone who is pleading in the midst of a court setting. Jesus here is telling us to ask. He's telling us to beg. He's telling us to plead. Go in humility to your heavenly Father. The word seek is the same word that you would use to scour or to search for something. There's a traveler's insurance ad on TV. Have you guys seen it? This woman's walking down the street of a busy city and she starts fumbling with her ring. I don't know why she starts playing with her ring in the middle of a street in the city, but she starts playing with her ring and the ring falls off and it falls through a grate in the sidewalk and it falls down into the sewer. Well, she calls her insurance agent and an insurance agent, instead of filing a claim to just pay her the money for the ring, because he cares he goes and he opens up the grate in the sidewalk and he goes down into the sewer and he searches and he scours and he ends up finding the ring. But he can't find the ring unless he is searching and scouring for the ring. This is what Jesus is saying here. There is a desire. There's a persistence in the ask. We're to ask, we're to seek, 
and we're to knock. Knock is just not a light knock on the door. It is a pounding or a banging on the door. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a man who has a friend come visit him. The friend comes visit later at night and the man has no bread to welcome or to be hospitable towards his friend who has come. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor's house and he starts pounding on the door. Wake up, wake up. I have a visitor and he needs some bread. The man in the house is like, go away, I'm sleeping. It's the middle of the night. The man doesn't go away. He keeps knocking. He keeps pounding. He keeps banging on the door until the man in the home wakes up and gives him some bread. And Jesus says it is because of his shameful audacity. His shameful audacity that the man answers the door. Jesus says to you and to me, I am inviting you to ask, to seek, and to knock. Question for you. Do you have shameful audacity when you come to your heavenly father? What is that thing? What is that struggle that you're dealing with right now? What is the issue that you are facing in your life right now? Is it school tomorrow? Is it a financial crisis? Is it a health crisis? What is it that you have right now as a deep need or a deep fear? Do you come to the Lord always asking, always seeking, always knocking? This is what Jesus is inviting us to this morning. Because God is our Father and He cares. He sees you, He loves you, and He wants you to persist. Always be asking, always be seeking, always be knocking. Now, I have to be clear about something here right now. This invitation that Jesus is giving, it's not for everyone. The invitation isn't just a broad invitation for everyone. There is a specific audience that Jesus is giving this invitation to. Take your Bibles and turn back. Turn back to Matthew chapter five. It's just a couple pages back. Jesus tells us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount who he is talking to. Look at Matthew chapter five, verses one and two. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Who is the them? Who is the them that Jesus is referring to? It's not the crowds. Jesus is referring to his disciples. He's referring to his devoted followers. He was and he is speaking to those who believe in him, those who follow and obey and trust him. That is who he is speaking to. He is speaking to people who are God's children. And not everyone is a child of God. Amen. Everyone is made in God's image, but not everyone is a child of God. Amen. Now everyone has the right to become a child of God. Look what John writes in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave, look at this, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Do you see what the verse says? Do you see what John is saying? Everyone has the right to become a child of God. You have the choice. If you have come here this morning and you have not yet put your faith or your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have not yet believed... You're not a child of God. 
You're not. And the invitation that Jesus is giving to ask, seek, and knock is not for you specifically. But everyone has the right to become a child of God. So why would you not this morning place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that you can become a child of God, so that this invitation becomes personal for you, so that you can ask, seek, and knock of your heavenly Father. See, Jesus is saying here, always be asking, always be seeking, always be knocking, but he is speaking specifically to his children, to his disciples. So if you are here this morning and you are not yet his child, I'm telling you, my friend, today is the day. Please come up to me afterwards and we will talk about it. But today is the day to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so this invitation becomes personal to you. And for the rest of you who already are children of God, ask, seek, knock, whatever it is, ask. Ask, seek, and knock for your child to have their faith placed in Jesus Christ. Pray for that person that doesn't yet know Jesus. Pray for the person that is addicted to alcohol or is addicted to some other substance. Pray that they would be healed. Pray that there would be provision. Pray that the obstacle would be removed. Whatever it is, pray. Pray that God would change your heart so you could be more engaged in the lives of other people. So you could be, pray that you could follow the teaching that God has already given us in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, seek, and knock. Because he's your father. And he loves you. And he sees you. And he cares for you. Which brings us to the promise. The promise is found in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is Jesus' promise to us. Jesus rewards his children. God listens and responds and answers your and my prayers. That is the promise. So this is not only the opportunity, we don't only have the opportunity to see him as a father, but we have the opportunity now to see him as the father who is in heaven. He doesn't just care. He doesn't just see you. He doesn't just love you. He actually has the power to effectuate everything that he intends. Whatever it is he chooses, he has the power to effectuate, to do, to implement. He answers our prayers. See, he brings loved ones to faith. He overcomes addictions. He heals. He removes obstacles. He provides resources and so much more, all in response to our persistent prayers and all because he has the power to do it. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Now you may be thinking to yourself at this point, I kind of like that promise because I can get whatever I want. If I ask for it, I'm going to receive. If I seek, I'm going to find. If I knock, the door's going to be open. It is like an open checkbook. There's people that believe this way. There's a whole prosperity gospel movement that looks at this and says, name it and claim it, and it is yours. 
They think of God as kind of a celestial slot machine. If I just pull that arm enough times, I'm going to get what I want. It's not the way it works. You see, what has to happen is our will has to line up with his will. And our motives have to be pure. Right? Look at what he says here. Look at what's said here. This is John, 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the idea that our will has to line up with his will. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, what does it say? According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And look at this from James 4, verse 3. When you ask, do not re- you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, this is what we often think, right? We often think, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock, and I'm going to do it because I'm going to get what I want. It's the wrong motive. See, our asking has to line up with, with his will, and our motives have to be right. Our motives have to be pure. But Jesus continues. Look how he continues, because he wants us to make sure Look at how he continues because he wants us to help us understand the certainty of our heavenly father's response. Look at the illustration he uses beginning in verse nine. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Certainly. A good, loving, and kind father is going to provide for his child. He's going to give bread and fish, not a stone or a snake. He's going to provide good things to his children. Here, Jesus is encouraging us to trust our heavenly father to answer our prayers for our good. We are the children. He is the father. Jesus knows the hidden doubts that we have. He knows that we often wonder or think to ourselves, well, if I pray, is my prayer really going to be answered? He knows. He knows that there have been people that have held a child who's been really sick. And have prayed for God to heal and save that child. And it hasn't happened. He knows that there have been people on the brink of financial disaster and have just begged God, please, please don't. Don't let it happen. And it's happened. He knows there's people that struggle with addiction and have asked to be healed from the addiction and have not yet been healed. If we're honest, we've all been there. We've all prayed that prayer and asked God for something, begged him for something, and we haven't gotten what we've asked for. 
I would like to be able to tie it all up in a neat bow for you. I can't. It's hard. I can't tie it up in a neat bow. But what I can do is I can encourage you to trust your heavenly father. He's the father. He sees you. He cares for you. He loves you. And not only does he see you, care for you, and love you, he has the power. He has the power to do whatever he intends to do. He's your father. But we also have to remember that we're the children. I'm the child. And I don't have the complete picture. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't even really know what is in my best interest. But God does. I remember there was a time in our family's lives when my children wanted ice cream and candy every night for dinner. They thought it would be in their best interest. It was not in their best interest. They thought it was in their best interest because they were the child. I knew it was not because I am the father. We need to trust our heavenly father, our father who is in heaven. A couple of weeks ago, our seventh and eighth graders went downtown, went to downtown Grand Rapids to pap pass out food to people who are currently homeless. They passed out food and they also passed out Sarah Blue's Calvary business card. Sarah uh, serves, she leads our benevolence and homeless ministry. A few days later, after our seventh and eighth graders were downtown passing out this food, Sarah received an email from Richard. This is what the email said. As I sat in the shade in the square munching on my hot dog and barbecue chips, I couldn't help but wonder if this was a sign from God that my salvation might soon be at hand. An answer to five long months of steadfast prayer to just be allowed to go home to Canada to spend my declining years among my own people and be buried in the ground next to my mother who was interred on the island of Montreal, Quebec, where I was born and raised. All I need is a bus ticket from Grand Rapids to Toronto which I think is about $37. Please, if you can, help me. Sarah reached out to Richard. She met him downtown. She gave him the bus ticket, and she prayed over him for blessing. He told her that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, that he was a believer, and that he had been crying out to God with seemingly no response. He had even visited churches in downtown Grand Rapids who did not respond by providing him a ticket. He told her that he was about to give up when one of Calvary's 7th and 8th grade students gave him food and Sarah's business card. This past week, Sarah received the following email from Richard. Hi, Sarah. I arrived on Thursday evening and then was occupied with finding a place to stay for the weekend, food to eat, and what documents that I had to fill out, etc. But all is well now, exclamation point. 
I am registered with Service Canada and Ontario Works who are going to assist me in getting a Canadian bank account and some emergency funds to tide me over. So once again, your benevolence has been the main ingredient to getting me back on my feet again. I'll remember you in my prayers as well as Rodney and his gaggle of young do-gooders, exclamation point. Enjoy the weekend, Richard. Praise God. But did you hear what Richard said in the first five long months of steadfast prayer? Five long months of living on the streets of Grand Rapids. Five long months of trying to find $37 for a bus ticket. But he persisted. And God, who has the power to effectuate whatever he chooses, ends up sending 7th and 8th graders from Calvary Church down there to give out food and a card that connects him to Sarah who goes to him, gives him a bus ticket, prays for him, and now all is well, exclamation point. You see how this works? Ask, seek, and knock, and your father who is in heaven answers those prayers. He promises, this is what the text says, he promises it all for your good and he gives you good things, which leads us, not only do we have an invitation, not only do we have a promise, finally and quickly, we have an assignment. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, when I read this, I think to myself, why does this fall here? First verse, invitation, ask, seek, knock. Second, promise, if you ask, you're going to receive. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, the door's going to be opened. Okay, so do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. This follows actually quite logically. We saw it in our seventh and eighth graders. We saw it in the story of Richard. Richard asked, seeked, knocked, and God promised, but he promised through the doing good of our 7th and 8th grade do-gooders. They did what they would have others do to them. They went into the city and they passed out food and they showed some concern, some care, and some love. Who doesn't want care, concern, and love? If you are experiencing homelessness and you are in the, what do you want? You want somebody to come down and give you a hot dog and some barbecued chips and a card that says, hey, follow up and we're going to help you even some more. Think about it, what it is that you want done to you and then do that to others. It is a natural outflow of what happens. And in actuality, you see the beginning, the first word of verse 12? In our NIV, it says so. In other translations, it says therefore. In essence, what is happening is Jesus is summarizing here what he has said in these preceding verses, in actuality, he is summarizing everything that he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount. All of this boils down to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What is it that you want others to do for you? How do you want others to treat you? Do you want people to be honest with you? Do you want people to be honest with you? Do you want people to be kind to you? Do you want people to do things that are nice to you? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And notice what it says. It says in everything. You and I, we don't get any excuse. 
in everything do unto others as they would do, as you would have them do unto you. And notice also, it's presented in the positive. Other religions and other world philosophies or worldviews have a same or similar type of command or instruction, but it's always in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Well, that's all fine and good, but that just means a bunch of people are going to be sitting around on their couch not doing to others, not... Oh, I'm really lost now. <laughs> you get what I mean, right? The negative just causes us to sit on our couch. But when it's presented in the positive, it requires action. It requires that you get off of your couch and start acting in the benefit, in the good of others. And do you realize what would happen in this world if people did unto others as they want them to do unto them? And you know what? We don't even need to think about this world. Like in this world, yeah, there would be, there'd be no political issues. There would be no divorce. There'd be no relationship issues. There'd be no abortion. There would be no conflict among people. There because if we were doing, but look at that'd be great. But again, Jesus isn't talking to everybody out there. Guess who Jesus is talking to? Yes. So you and me do unto others as you would have them do unto you in political discourse and discussion. How do you want to be treated? In conflict and relationship, how do you want to be treated? Treat that other person the same. And what happens? You see how this is connected? You ask, you seek, you knock. God promises to answer. He answers in the way that is good for you and is good for me. And when he does, we get excited. God's answering my prayers. He's my father. And not only is he my father, he's my father in heaven who has power. And he's answering my prayers, so why won't I? I'm gonna go out and do good. And when I do good to other people, what do they see? When you go out and do good to other people, who do they see? You see what happens? Richard knows that he has a father who sees him, who cares for him, and who loves him. And that father has enough power to answer his prayers. What do you think Richard's doing back now in Canada right now? He's talking. He's telling people about some seventh or eighth grader who came to him and gave him a hot dog and a card. Because that 7th and 8th grader loves Jesus and he just wants to do what Jesus tells him to do and he goes and does that because that's what he wants done to him. And now Richard is going to actually go do the same thing. This is for us, Calvary Church. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And when you do, they see God. And when they see God, what do they start doing? They start asking, seeking, and knocking. And then what does God do? God starts answering. He starts answering the prayer because when you ask, you find. And when you see, ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. And when you knock, the door is opened. And then the site. Do you see what happens? Jesus has given us an invitation. He's given us an invitation to pray to our Father who is in heaven who is going to answer that prayer because he has the power to do so. And then we, in response, go out and do to others as we would have them do to us. And in doing all of this, do you see what God does? He comes and he helps us see who he is. 
He's our Father. He loves us. He cares for us. And he sees us. And he's our Father who is in heaven and has the power to answer those prayers for our good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are clear with each one of us. I thank you that you are our salvation. Lord, you do not leave us in hopelessness. You do not leave us in darkness, but you bring light into our lives through Jesus Christ. And that light provides goodness in our lives. I pray for each one of us here this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would see you as our Father who is in heaven. And in doing so, Lord, we would respond positively and persistently to the invitation that we would know that you have promised to answer these prayers. And Lord, help each one of us to do unto others as they would do unto, as we'd have them do unto us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.